Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to see you. Um, If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 25 as we look at what it means to be eternally productive investors this morning. And if you were with us last week, you might remember that we talked about at the beginning of a new year, I think that's a gift from God, isn't it? New years are. Because we can look back at the previous year and see areas that we need to grow in. And so for the month of January, we have decided to take the entire month uh, to evaluate our lives, to look at the meaning of our lives, our purpose, our direction, and then to make adjustments as we're moving into 2023 before we get to uh, February. And in February, we plan to jump back into the book of Romans. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a a fairly familiar text. It's a parable that we have preached on. It's one that um, I actually go to on a regular basis when I am evaluating my life. It's one of those passages that really encourages me and motivates me to live my life in a meaningful and eternally meaningful way. I I can't think of a better parable to glean from as we are looking for, uh, as we are moving forward in 2023. It's the parable, it's the parable of the talents. And so we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. If you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, we're going to look at just two verses, uh, read just two verses Verses 14 and 25. This is the word of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for a time where we can gather together as your people in the name of Jesus. And we ask this morning that once again you would help us to humbly receive your word and that it would be planted in us and that we would be able to apply it in a way, that you would cause it to grow in us in a way that will help us to be found to be good and faithful servants on the day of your return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week, if you remember in the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, who has been known as the wisest king uh, to ever live, uh, he said that life is a vapor. Basically, what he's saying is, is we're here, we're gone, life moves on, without us, and everything that we have worked for, everything, every experience we've ever had gets left behind, and eventually, the sad thing about life is that apart from God, we are forgotten. Life apart from God, Solomon says, is vanity, that it's, it's meaningless. But fortunately, we didn't land there. We landed that the truth is that those who are in Christ, only those who are in, in Christ, who is the eternal God, 
Those of us who are in Christ, we can live our lives with eternal meaning and purpose. And so today is going to be kind of like part two from last week. If you didn't get to see that message, it's online or it's on our podcast. But what I want to do this morning is I want to help us understand as disciples of Jesus, why when we come to Jesus, why don't we just go move up onto the the top of Mount Mitchell, the highest peak, by the way, east of the Mississippi. Why don't we move up there and isolate ourselves, other than it's freezing cold up there and who would want to live up there? But why don't we isolate ourselves from everybody and just live our lives the way we want to? Uh, Why should we passionately, why should we intentionally develop our minds and our hearts and even our bodies? Uh, why, Why should we, in other words, why should we hit the gym? on a regular basis, exercise. Why should we, if you're in school, even if you're not in school, why should we be diligent students? Why should we diligently be studying? Why should we, listen, why should we be at our, at our jobs? Why should we excel, go beyond what we've been asked to do? Why should we take calculated risks from time to time? In other words, what's our motivation to be eternal, eternally productive investors. Why should we be that? Well, if you're taking notes, hopefully when you came in, you got what we call a weekly. And on the back, if you're taking notes, you can fill in the blanks there. But if you're taking notes, write this down. This is the big idea that I want to convey this morning, is that God expects his children to live eternally productive lives. Now, that word expected, I almost expect, I almost put the word desires, but I don't think that's strong enough, as we're going to see in the passage today. He does desire us to, but he also expects his children to live eternally productive lives. And this morning, I have three gospel truths that I want to share underneath this big idea uh, to support this claim. It's going to be found in our passage, but before we get there, I want to be clear about something. And that is, if you are a part of our church, if you've been with us, you know that we stress justification by faith, right? That a person, a man, a woman, a young person is justified before God. We're made right before God. We're made perfect before God, not by what we do, not by our good works, right? But by his good works, what Jesus did for us. When he lived perfectly, when he died for us, when he was buried in the grave, and when he rose again, we glory in that work of Christ is what makes us right before God, isn't it? It's not our good works. We stress that, we glory in that because God stresses it in his word. That's why we stress it. It is a major, the major theme in the scripture. But listen, if we're not careful, and this is what you need to hear, if we are not careful, we will, as we're glorying in Christ's work, we will think that good works in our lives are not important. We will think that, you know, I can just live my life any old way that I want to. And, you know, we love to quote Uh, Ephesians uh, 2, 8 through 9. And I'm going to actually read it right now. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. You've been saved by grace through faith. And this, not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And here's the emphasis that we often come to, verse 9. Not a result of works, not our good works, so that no one may boast. 
Now, we boast in that, don't we? We glory that our righteousness comes not from within, but from without, from Christ's work on the cross. But if we're not careful, we will forget that there is a verse 10 to Ephesians, which says this, For we are his workmanship, those who are in Christ, created in Christ for what? Say that with me. Good works. Let's say that again. For good works. You see that? And which God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the truth is that, yes, the Lord emphasizes grace and faith. We, and we emphasize that. But he also emphasizes works, fruitfulness, and productivity. If you go to Mark chapter 11, you might remember that Jesus curses a fig tree. Remember that? That represented the nation of Israel, which was God's chosen people. Why did he curse it? Because it was unfruitful. In John 15, our Lord, listen to this, commands. He doesn't ask us. He commands us to abide in him. Why? So that we will bear much fruit. Now, why does Jesus in John 15 want us to bear much fruit? It is not primarily so that we will will feel a sense of purpose and meaning. That is not why he says that. Now, we will, okay? Don't miss what I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying here. We will feel that, but that's not why Jesus says to do it. He says to do this because it brings glory to my Father who is in heaven. When we are productive uh, disciples of Jesus and produce much fruit, it brings glory to the Father. And in the parable of the talents, as we move into our passage this morning, We see that Jesus is teaching that God expects or that he commands his children to live eternally productive lives. And in verse 14, we're going to see that there are three items that we need to identify. You've got a man, you've got servants, and you've got property. So I think when we get to the man, I think most of us realize that the man represents Jesus, right? The man represents Jesus. The journey that this this man is preparing to go on, corresponds to Jesus preparing himself to go to the cross, to die for his sheep, to be buried, to be raised from the dead, and then to ascend back to the Father into heaven. So that's, I, I believe that that's what the man represents. The servants, very simple, represent anyone, anyone who claims to belong to Jesus. So this parable that Jesus is is sharing, if you look at the context, is given to his people. It's given to his church. And then there's his property. The third thing in this, in verse 14, is his property, which leads us to our first gospel truth that I want us to see, and that is that Jesus entrusts us with his property. As God expects us to live eternally productive lives, he entrusts to us his property. Let's look at verse 15 together. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now in this parable, the the master's property is distributed as what he calls talents. And a talent was a large sum of money back in the day. Um, It was usually gold or silver, and 
Scholars estimate, some scholars estimate that one talent would have been worth about $600,000 in today's currency. So think about it. The guy with one talent had 600000 The dude with five talents had what? $3 million. And you're like, man, I wish I could be that guy. Well, you might could be. It depends on your ability because that's how he gives based on what you can handle. Um, and, the, and the talents in this parable represent, I believe, they represent the kingdom of heaven. They represent kingdom of heaven responsibilities and opportunities that God entrusts to us based upon our abilities, what you can handle, what you can manage. And um, I, I believe that this includes material items. I believe that this includes our giftings uh, that God has entrusted to us to steward, but it's more than that. We, we need to see that it's more than that because really in the world, uh, people that are outside of the church, a lot of times they have a lot more material things than us. And a lot of times, I mean, honestly, their movies are a lot better than ours, right? Uh, they, they're just more realistic. I don't know. But they are more gifted than Christians. They have those things, but this isn't what Jesus is talking about primarily. Uh, I believe that there's one thing that sets us apart, and that is that Jesus has entrusted us with the message of the gospel, right? Jesus has entrusted us with his with material things and giftings, but within that, it's the gospel that sets us apart. So look at, look at 1 Timothy 6.20. The Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit, which is he's talking about the gospel. What? Entrusted to you. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, here it is, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What did Paul was had Paul given to Timothy, entrusted to him? He had, in a nutshell, he had entrusted the ministry of the gospel. And so Jesus has entrusted uh, the good news of the kingdom of heaven, not to the world. He did not entrust it to them to make sure it gets spread, but to his servants, to his disciples. And we have been given, it is a privilege. We need to see it is a privilege to be able to proclaim the gospel. So number one, Jesus entrusts us with his property. Number two, gospel truth I want us to see here is we get, we get to be eternal investors. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. Now, a slightly different version of this parable is found in Luke 19. And in that parable, when the master leaves, he gives the money and he leaves, he says this, he says, engage in business until I return. In other words, invest what I have entrusted to you until I return. Verse 16 of our passage today says that he who had received the five talents went at once you see the joy that's in this servant? He went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he doubled what he was given. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now this is the part where it can get really exciting because as stewards of the gospel, we get to take what God has entrusted to us and we get to invest it in eternal ways. We get to invest it 
in eternal souls. And, you know, again, it's the gospel that makes the eternal difference in, in this. And what I mean by that is, is listen, when you, take, when you take what Jesus has given to you, and I'm including your time, uh, your money, your gifts, your possessions, when you take those and then you wrap them around the gospel, package the gospel within those by the Holy Spirit, and you, you use those things to invest your life in others for the kingdom of God, you are doing what God has expects of you. You're being faithful to live an eternally productive life. And once we do that, you know what our job is to do? Is to trust that God will take that and bring the growth as he sees fit to it. We're not called to make things grow, are we? We're called to be faithful and let God bring about the growth. And, you know, in his wisdom, when God created us, when he created you, I always have to stop there because I think sometimes we forget that. God created you. And he designed you to be different, not in a weird way like we can be. He designed you to be different, and he gave you varied abilities and giftings uniquely. And so some of us in this room are gifted leaders. Some of us are teachers and and vision casters. Others of us are skilled at making money, making friends, making peace, while other, others of us high, have higher capacities uh, in discernment, in, in wisdom, in organization. Some of us are really good at connecting others with others. Uh, some of us, like uh, public ministries, are gifted in that. Some of us are actually more skilled at ministries that are behind the scenes. Um, some of us are good at gathering people together, and others of us are aware of that person that's that needs to be included within the group. And the point I'm making here is that God, he's given us all, all of us varied abilities. And, and individually, man, those things are cool. The, I love looking at people who are gifted in things I'm not. Uh, there are people, one of the things that I don't, that I'm not good at is just making cold calls. And I remember being on a stat, in a staff meeting one time, and this guy's like, man, I love it when visitors come here, and I get to call them and say, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you like doing that? He's like, yeah, I get charged up by doing that. I love, I mean, it's, it's really cool when I see the, uh, the gifts that God has given other people. But collectively, when we bring all those gifts together, it's awesome, you know? And, and that's because, listen, we are the body of Christ, aren't we? Those of us who are in Christ, we are his body. And, you know, we're reminded of this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. Let's look at that. It says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of what? Thank you, Micah. Let's say that again. <laughs> for the body does not consist of one member, but of many, right? Thank you. So, in other words, some of us are feet and eyes and ears, and noses, and yes, and we're different, right? Each part of the body performs a different function, and when it's missing or not working properly, we feel it, don't we, in our own bodies? Verse 18 says, but as it is, 
God, see how involved God is with his church? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And because of this truth, because of this teaching, uh, we believe as a church and we teach as a church that every follower of Jesus Christ is meant to, not meant to live in isolation, but is meant to be in meaningful, connected relationships within a local body. And we are the first to say that we are not, Reach Life Church is not the only church in Asheville. We don't believe that everyone should be a covenant member at Reach Life Church, but we do believe if you are in Christ, you are to be a member somewhere, connected somewhere in a meaningful way. And, you know, if God brought you here, it's important, again, for you to understand two things. Number one, that you are who you are, your personality, your gender, your ethnicity, your giftings, your interests, even your, uh, your humor. You're like that because God fearfully and wonderfully designed you that way. And obviously, I'm not talking about sinful tendencies here. So you need to understand that God created you a certain way. And number two, that his desire is to arrange you, to put you in a body, to connect you in such a way that you are able to use your unique gifts and abilities to benefit the body, to build up the body in Christ so that corporately we can build one another up and that we can reveal Jesus together to the world. And so when it comes to investing, you know, in the past, uh, we've talked about that if usually people are either savers or they're spenders um, or they're investors. A, A saver is someone that needs to learn how to let go of their money. A spender is someone that needs to be less reckless with what they've been entrusted with. And an investor is someone who has learned how to save, when to save, and then how to spend to have a healthy balance on spending and saving in the hopes of when you purchase that that investment, you hope that it will generate and produce a return. And I want to give you some tips on investing. I love talking about investing. It's it's one of those things that um, I'm wanting to grow in and learn. I've seen some of it, uh, good things in my life in the past. And I want to just share a few tips on investing. So number one, if you're taking notes here, number one, You need to be, if you're going to invest, you need to be patient and persevere. You've got to be patient and persevere. Too many times we want it now, don't we? We want results now. It's kind of like, and I'm going to give you a worldly example. It's kind of like if you want to get in shape, um, you want to invest in your health uh, through better eating and and exercise habits. What if on day one you, you eat right for one day, and work out and look in the mirror, and nothing happens, okay? I'm going to do it one one more day. You go day two. Now you're sore, aren't you? And you're hungry. Then you go to day three, and you feel like you got the flu. This can't be good for me. So what do you do? You'll be tempted to give up because you think this is not working. But... 
you've got to be patient and persevere with an investment. If you plant an acorn in the ground, you don't expect to go out in the morning and there would be a great oak tree. It takes time, and this is, eternal investing is very similar. So and for another example, that would be when you're investing in people. That's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about eternal investing, when, when, we're, when we're investing in people. Before you invest, it's like, man, I'm going to go out and love this person and care for them, and they're going to be so grateful, and they're going to grow like an oak tree, and just it's going to be so awesome. And then you get into it and realize that life's messy. At times, the person that you're investing in doesn't appreciate it. Uh, they're not growing as fast as you would like them to, even though you're not growing as fast as you would like to, right? But it's not as easy as you would like. And so when that happens, when hard times come, you want to go, you know what, this isn't worth it. I was talking to a guy uh, about a year ago who was, used to be active in the church, and he told me, you know what, I'm not around, I'm still a believer, but I'm not in the church because it's just too hard. And I was like, I know, I know it's hard. It is hard to be together, but it is what we've been called to, and it's also what it enables us to grow as disciples in Christ. Because I'm a great Christian when I'm by myself. But it's, <laughs> thank you for not saying amen on that. It's when we get around each other who are different, right? It's when we're different and we're like, ah, oh, no. Uh, but, you know, th- those are things that we need to, to realize that we all need a Savior and that we've got to remain patient. We, we've got to persevere if we're going to eventually see a return. That's tip number one. Tip number two is that sacrifice, you need to sacrifice now in order to reap later. Did you see that first word, sacrifice? That's painful, isn't it? All investing requires what is known as deferred gratification. Deferred gratification. And that means that you must often sacrifice what you desire now to obtain greater returns in the future. You're sacrificing now in order to to get greater returns in the future. And I tell my children, I tell them on a regular basis that our family today is reaping good things and bad things because of the, the investment sacrifices that I made or did not make when I was their age. I tell them, what you're doing today What you're planting today, you are going to reap in the future, and so is your family is going to reap in the future. And that can be good news, and it can be bad news. So the thing I'm saying is sacrifice now in order to reap later. Step number three, or tip number three, is take baby steps. This is one you've got to um, really take hold of. Uh, Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So we can get really excited about investing our lives and changing, and we can run out and we can try to change everything at one time. So like, for example, if you've not been reading your Bible and you're like, man, I want to start reading my Bible because I need to know the Word of God. So you go out and you try to read the entire Bible in one week. And then what happens? You get discouraged and you give up. You need to take baby steps. Maybe instead of trying to read the entire Bible, maybe just read a couple of verses a day. If that's not enough, read a chapter. Keep adding. Wherever you are today, don't stay there. When you, get, when you grow to a certain level, then that's time to put more weight on the bench, as it were, 
and to grow a little bit more. We need to take baby steps. Otherwise, we will get discouraged and give up. Number four, we need to take calculated risks. Now, I say calculated because some people just like to take risks. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about you're, you're looking at something that has the great potential of being, giving you a return, but it's a risk. There's no guarantee in it. And that means for us, here's what it means. It means you need to come out of your comfort zone at times. You need to do some things that make your hands kind of shake and, and your heart beat faster. You need to give announcements on Sunday morning. I think every person should give announcements at least once. Because then, number one, you'll listen when they're giving them, and you won't be critical of that. I mean, it's, that's the hardest thing to do is give announcements. But do things that will, will stretch you. Maybe it's standing in the truth at work. Instead of just agreeing with something you clearly don't agree with that's against Christ, you just stand there. Maybe it means you've been, you stand there, but now it's maybe in love you say something. Um, it could be that the way that you use your money, you give some of your, your finances away to support God's work. Or it may be that you open yourself up to someone and say, hey, uh, let's get together and uh, get coffee. Some of those things might stretch you. We need to take calculated risks that, that make you uh, uncomfortable financially, mentally, socially, and physically. Risks that will cause you to grow and that cause you to trust in the Lord. We say, Lord, I need you to help me in this area. And, you know, eternal investing, um, it makes it exciting to be a disciple of Jesus. But what does it look like practically? What are some examples? I want to give you a few examples, real-life examples of people in this room here. It looks like Wendy Sales asking if the children can sing a Christmas song for the church and then making it happen. It looks like Colton King asking me if we could have a men's breakfast. The men need to have a men's breakfast. I said, yeah. What does he do? He organized it, and he is now leading a men's breakfast on Friday, every other Friday at Chick-fil-A. It looks like Boaz, Micah, Sophia, Abby Nysong, Paige Trammell, Dylan Evans, Zach Mahaffey, Scott and George Anna Adams coming to this facility early on a Sunday morning before anyone is here, week after week, some year after year, in order to make sure we have slides, make sure the, heat, the building is heated correctly, to make sure that we have music, to make sure that the video is running properly. It's, it's like Nancy Crane and Debbie Davis who have been leading our women's prayer team faithfully, I mean faithfully on Monday nights uh, for, the, for the past several years. Uh, Courtney Harris and Charlie Crane keeping the books, the financial books, to make sure that our finances are in order. It's like Mary Beth Mahaffey and Hannah Mae Park last week standing right there. They came up to me and said, hey, we want to bless the, the parents in our church and have a, fam, a parents' night out. And I said, that's awesome. And they said, and we want to do it. We want to do it. You know what the crazy thing about that is? Mary Beth just had a baby, okay? She has three kids. She needs, doesn't need to be here. She needs to be one out, okay? So here's what I want to encourage. This is kind of a side note here. If they come and ask you, hey, can you help? Would you say, 
yes. Will you take a calculated risk and say, yes, I will help you? Okay, so that, that's another example. It's like Megan Tabor and uh, Gabby King volunteering to head up Reach Life Church, uh, Reach Life, Reach Kids. And all of you ladies who faithfully volunteer to teach our children so that they, uh, we can help our parents grow as parents and that our children can hear the gospel here at an early age. And it also allows parents to be freed up on Sunday mornings to hear the word of God. It's guys like Marvin Davis who is always whispering in mine and Terry's ear. He's always reminding us what God is doing in our church. He helps us to see the things that sometimes we overlook and, and, and it's encouraging. It's like Steve and Leslie Cassell who came to me uh, couple years ago, one or two years ago, and they said, hey, James, you don't, need to be going, you don't need to be the one that goes out and buys all the food for Transformation Village. Let us do it. So they've been doing that faithfully uh, for the past year or two. It's like the, the Reaps, the Hollands, the Suttons, the Harrises, and, and anyone I have forgotten, I'm so sorry, but those of you who have opened your home to allow people to come in for showers and ladies' events and and uh, get-togethers. It's like Megan Evans gathering young moms together to encourage them as wives, as, as mothers, and as women. And it's like my wife. Uh, she's not in here because she's actually back there serving. But it's, I have to mention my wife because uh, I'm only going to mention one of the million things she does. But she's opened, allowed us to open our home for the past seven years to small groups in our home. So it's things like that where people are taking their giftings. And, and, and listen, I know that what I just shared, I did not mention everybody in this room. Uh, I, don't have, uh, I don't have the time to do that. I wish I did. But, and this isn't even the tip of the iceberg. Um, I could talk about this for hours. These are just a few things that I'm aware of. I can't imagine of the things I'm not even aware of. Uh, the things that are done even outside of the church. Uh, in the community, as, as many of you are discipling uh, other people, your, your missionaries, wherever God has you. But what I'm, what I'm wanting to, to point out is, is that what is happening when we, when we do what I just described, we're taking the gospel that Jesus has entrusted to us, and we're packaging it, packaging it we're wrapping it with our gifts and our resources, and then investing them by loving eternal souls and displaying to the world that we serve and belong to a beautiful and wonderful Savior. And you know, according to this parable, it matters. Listen, it matters what you do with your gifts and your abilities and what God has entrusted to you. Jesus entrusts us with his property Number two, we get to be investors, eternal investors. Number three, and this is my last gospel truth, is that Jesus judges and rewards faithful servants. You need to hear that. Faithful stewards will be rewarded in this life in, in different ways, but greatly in the life to come. Let's look at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
right there, that in and of itself is enough, wouldn't it? Isn't it? To hear our master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 22, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. If it wasn't, wasn't enough to just simply get the joy of serving the Lord, and, you know, and that's because we are unworthy servants, aren't we? We realize we don't even deserve, like John the Baptist, we're not even worthy to, to untie Jesus' feet, but he calls us to serve him. But on top of that, he rewards us for doing what we should be doing anyway. He rewards us for that. We reap more than what we sow. And so this is a parable of encouragement. This parable should encourage you to be faithful because it will be worth it. It's a a parable of encouragement, but also, listen, it is a parable of warning against unfaithfulness. Look at verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Now, are these accusations by this servant accurate based on the Jesus that that you know? Is Jesus a hard and wicked master, reaping where he did not sow? Is he stingy? Is he closed-fisted? Is he dominating? Is that the shepherd, the good shepherd that you know? It isn't the good shepherd that I know, and I know it's not the good shepherd that you know. But what's going on here is this servant is blame shifting. He's, he's turning the tables. And, and, and basically, what you know what he's saying? He's saying, it's your fault. It's your fault that I'm not serving you. Verse 26, but his master answered him, and he's going to cut through it all. Here's the reason you didn't serve me, you wicked and slothful or lazy servant. Okay, so you're saying you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scatter no seed? Okay, this is how you see me. You're saying that you knew this about me. If so, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who, is, who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then here's the judgment for this one individual. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. Eternal judgment, hell, separation from God and his people. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very sobering. Very sobering. What's going on here? We need to ask that question. What's going on here? Why is uh, this servant unfaithful? Now, notice, before I go into that, I want to point out, this passage is not teaching that he was cast out because he didn't do enough good works. I want to be clear about that, okay? But notice that this, this servant, he says he's, he fears punishment, but that did not motivate him to serve the Lord with gladness. And that's because fear will not do that. 
calls us to properly serve the Lord. He does not want us to serve him because we're afraid we're going to go to hell if we don't. I think, you know, you know, I think what the problem here with this servant is that it has nothing to do with his ability. It has nothing to do with his talents. It has everything to do with his relationship with Jesus. In other words, he didn't have a relationship with his master. He didn't know him. He didn't know the goodness. He didn't know the kindness. He didn't know the mercy. He didn't know the forgiveness. And he didn't know the love that Jesus lavishly pours upon his people and how he lavishly and and graciously rewards those who faithfully serve him. I think this is the key to the passage. It's not about, first, it's not about what we do. It's not about our work. First, it's about our walk. Before you work, as one pastor said, first you must walk with the Lord. Before you do these works, make sure you're walking, abiding, being renewed and reminded of what Christ has done for you being stirred up in your heart by what he did for you, what he did for us, by living a perfect life, by dying a death for us so that we would not have to be punished, rising from the dead. Once we get that, once we're stirred with that, it's going to motivate us to take what God has entrusted to us, what he's given to us, and to take it, to protect it, to develop it, and then to invest it. And if we will remember that Jesus owns everything and entrusts us with his possessions in order to reward us, that's what his his end goal, he wants to reward us. If we will remember these truths in light of the gospel, then we can be assured that we will be prepared to stand before the Lord, to stand before our master unashamed, and one day hear him say, well done good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen? Amen.